Welcome to Both And with Bessie Graham, your weekly inspiration to help you use your time, talent, and treasure to make a bigger difference in the lives of others. I'm your host, Bessie Graham, award-winning entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience from the grassroots to the hallowed halls. Thanks for joining me. Let's jump in. Family businesses contribute 70% or more of global GDP. They tend to take a longer-term view, have a deeper connection to community, and commitment to their employees and suppliers. It's a relational-based approach to doing business based on the win-win of delivering value and in return building a solid and sustainable business. Today's guest on the podcast, Nikkei Anani, knows the world of family business inside and out. Her experience as a second-generation family business owner birthed a passion to help other families with a focus on bridging the gap between the senior and younger generations. Nikkei has become the voice of the next gen in family businesses and was rated as a top 100 family business consultant globally. She's the author of Lifetime to Legacy, a book focused on supporting families to gain clarity so that they can communicate, collaborate, and collectively gain clarity to increase profit and productivity in their family business. She's the co-founder of African Family Firms, a Pan-African Association of Family Businesses, and the host of the Connected Generation podcast, which is a top 10 family business podcast globally. At the end of the day, she's a woman you need to know, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to her now. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's really lovely to be able to have the chance to learn from your amazing breadth of experience. Just kick us off by giving us a bit of that journey, particularly around the ways that a passion for family businesses has emerged in your life. Thank you so much for having me, Bessie. It's a privilege to return the favor and be on the other side. I work with family businesses around succession planning. My journey into the space professionally was very much inspired by my personal experience in this space. So my father is the founder of our family enterprise. I'm from Lagos, Nigeria, all the way in Africa. At the age of nine, my parents decided that it was best for myself and my brother's education to move to the UK. So from age nine, for almost 20 years, I was based in the UK, far away from the business and Of course, at the age of nine, I wasn't very active, right? That would be (laughs) for ethical reasons. (laughs) Being quite far removed from the day-to-day of business, and I just pursued my career, and I was working in accountancy in the city of London, but always just found it a bit drab, boring, purposeless, and seeking something that would ignite me and connect me with what I believed I was made to do. But frankly, I couldn't tell you what that was. I just knew this was not it. 
So I went on a quest of just trying to discover what was meaningful to me and decided to take some time off work. I went on a career break. And by this point, our family enterprise had really transformed because whilst we were in the UK for 20 years, my mom moved with us as well. My dad, as this solo business owner, had the time in the world just to beast it out and worked really hard. The original business had grown tremendously and there were several businesses at this point and he'd been investing in different sectors. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to leave the city of London, go into the real business world in my dad's words and get exposure to a wider variety of industries. Perhaps that would inspire me and I'd know what I wanted to do with my life. And that was my foray into our family enterprise. This is about 12 years ago now. I came to Lagos, what was supposed to be for three months, and I spent 10 years and I never left. Well, I did leave, but it took me 10 years to leave. I really love the world of entrepreneurship outside of the four walls in the city of London and being where the action was at. I loved having the opportunity to join the dots with how entrepreneurial activities really move the needle socially and economically. So I studied economics at university and something I was always very passionate about, particularly development of the African continent from seeing from a sustainability perspective and how economic growth can tie into poverty alleviation. But for the first time, I saw that the first-hand actions of entrepreneurs really did move the needle on the lower end of the scale through employees, through impact and suppliers, and dealing with so many stakeholders. So I became very passionate about seeing that businesses like my father's and others would outlive the founders so we can have the sustained positive impact on society. I became super passionate about this space and succession planning and legacy planning and trained up with a few organizations globally and started working with successors to help them in collaborating with the first geners to see that we build legacy enterprises. What was that experience like for you, having been away for so long? Part of me is jealous of your dad having that opportunity to, you know, families away, you can really focus in and build the business because that's a tricky thing to do if you've got the family there with you. But what was the transition like to then come back in, how you had been away for a long time, engaging with your dad, as you said, that different generations and ideas, what you had studied, how different that would have been? Honestly, I look back on that season. I'm like, how did she do it? Who was that girl? She's intimidating me. Because <laughs> there was a lot of change that I went through. I don't know if you can relate to that. There's previous versions of yourself that you're like, how did I get through that season? Who was that? I don't recognize that. There was a lot of change culturally. I'd been out of the country for almost 20 years. And I had been educated in the UK and my work environment was very different. I wasn't working in a family business. I was working in Deloitte, which was super organized and very professional and like, you know, world best practice. And I knew I had latitude over like my training calendar for the year, for instance, but coming into the family business, there wasn't HR. It was very different environment. And then of course, having spent 20 years outside of the country, and not being as close to my dad, having to develop an adult relationship with him through this common passion that we had over the business. Yet there was a lot of adaptability and a lot of change that I had to really just get on with. But I think my life had been 
characterized by a lot of change and adaptability full stop. My moving to the UK at age nine meant that I was bicultural from a very young age and always adapting. The world in my home was very different from the world outside my home. And even when being educated at university, always thinking through how would this apply back in Nigeria? You know, like I'd always had this kind of duality that I'd navigated. So I think that really helped me with the ability to adapt being resourceful, quite honestly, just tapping into networks and asking people that I knew were more well-versed in the space of family offices and family enterprises for recommendations on like communities, resources I could read. And it was a lot of self-learning, a lot of reading books, listening to podcasts, attending conferences, joining communities. I, with some of the people that I've worked with and know who are in family businesses, there's often this conversation around, is it more helpful to go out and have your own career and have some of that separation first and then come back in without having gone straight from, say, university into the family business and the power dynamic and the different kind of components that play out? With all of the different families and generations that you've worked with, do you have some opinions on what some of those challenges or approaches, what works best? Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's really funny. Generally, I try not to have very strong opinions about things because I think there has to be room for nuance and complexity. But when it comes to this, I do strongly advise families if they do have the opportunity to choose to allow for family members to go out into the world before they come back into the family business for a host of reasons, particularly if they're next generation. The psycho-emotional dimensions of growing up as a successor means that typically successors will have a form of imposter syndrome where they feel they cannot compare to the giants that came before them. And they may feel quite lonely, quite isolated, quite fearful of what's to come. Will they be able to make their mark? Will they be able to compare to mum and dad? And if they've never had the opportunity to test their skills, their strengths, their values, know what's important to them outside of the sphere of where mum and dad control, they will never really know what they're worth because am I being promoted because I've got the right last name or is it because of what I've contributed? What do other stakeholders think of me? Do they really respect me or do they think this is just nepotism at play? Is it really realistic that at the age of 24, I'm a director of a company that's a national brand? So there's a lot of questions over, did I earn this? Is this legitimately mine? That honestly scars a lot of successes on the inside. And I strongly recommend that successes go out into the world and get life experiences, whether it's work experiences, whether it's philanthropy, whether it's joining communities, just to get to know yourself outside of the sphere where mum and dad, so to speak, control. And you can start to know yourself, value yourself and really love yourself and know what you can bring to the table. And probably even just have that confidence to answer all of those very large questions that you put forward, you know, when you're in a situation to know, actually, I can push back harder on my parents here because I do know aspects around best practice that they haven't seen. Or in this situation, yes, I do bring value to this board in this position for these reasons. So just to have some of that added data in your experience to be able to call on when those tricky questions arise. Are there things that looking back now with the experience that you've had and with the lessons you've learned through other people's family businesses, are there things you wish you knew when you made that transition back into the business? Things I wish I knew. 
just understanding that we all have different experiences. We may be going through the same experience, but we're seeing things so differently based on our preferences, priorities, and perspectives. So we're seemingly from the same family, father and daughter, but things so differently because as the founder who's self-driven and has a lot of self-belief and has always been able to create what he wanted, very different from as a next gen that grew up halfway across the world and is still trying to figure out where do I fit in? Do I fit in? To what extent can I own this in an emotional way, like ownership, not necessarily in terms of like ownership of an asset. I mean, emotionally own this. Like to what extent is this mine to tell people what to do, right? To what extent can I really influence and champion change? And also with employees as well, just being in the midst of this, I wish I really had a deeper understanding of the fact that everyone sees things differently. And what's important to everyone is different. There's nuance with respect to which generation they're from, are they family members or not, or even their personality types, right? How they process information, how you communicate to people that, for instance, are big picture thinkers, whereas compared to those that are super analytical and need to know all the detail. Because I'm a futurist and I'm always looking towards the future and I always tend to want to get to what I'm desiring to achieve in the most efficient way. I do have a tendency to reflect and be like, what would I have done differently? But in a way, I also just live with the tension that everything happened at its time for a reason. And I had to go through those seasons and learn these lessons for a reason. And it developed me into who I am today. And beautifully equips you to work with others and actually spot those patterns in advance for them. Because I think that's one of the pieces that's so important when you're coming in as an advisor is the ability to be able to say, oh, I can see where this is going. Like here's combine your futurist aspect, your experience from before, and that beautiful word that you've used multiple times already, nuance, the ability to say, ah, there's some gray here. This isn't a me coming in with an off-the-shelf answer. I need to listen to what's happening here and then speak in with those fresh eyes. Right, for sure. One of the pieces, and you mentioned this when you were talking about your journey and where that passion came from related to family businesses. I, like you, part of the heart of my passion for business is around this aspect of when we start to, as business owners and leaders, see the power of our decisions and the way we operate in our business to play out in ways that not only create that financial freedom and sustainability for our family and future generations, but also that positive social or environmental impact, depending on what the business is doing. Can you unpack a little bit more and maybe speak into your book and your work around those main ways that you've seen family businesses in particular really contribute to society? How do we do that well? Yeah, I'm really passionate about this. And I think the conversation on enterprising families is usually it lacks nuance and it focuses on the financial capital and their financial success without taking into consideration other sources of capital and ways they make an impact on society. Quite often we'll see that as families ascend the wealth ladder, they also ascend the social ladder. So they've got access to better information, they've got access to better networks and resources and entrepreneurship and investment opportunities on one hand, but also 
opportunities to influence policy and also drive the needle philanthropically and social impact. So I've seen a number of families evolve as they become more complex, sophisticated in their enterprise from informal kind of philanthropy to more formalized philanthropy, partnering with donors from different regions, having very clear causes that they're going after, being quite rudimentary in terms of measuring the impact, and also influencing locally policymakers and politicians and galvanizing various different stakeholders to make a positive change. And I think this, for me, is one of the most important reasons of why we should support family businesses in transitioning over time, because they tend to have an outlook that's not just towards the way succession, the TV show paints that who's going to be the successor and like, how much am I going to inherit? But really towards what's our role in the community? How are we going to ensure that the causes that we care about continue to be supported as a family? What values we want to see played out in society? And they tend to be not just shareholder oriented, but stakeholder oriented. How well have the family businesses that you have worked with done thinking and then moving into action of not separating out doing good and making money? When you and I have spoken in the past, I've talked to you about my passion of trying to help people to shift out of thinking, you know, we run the business as well as we can, make as much money as we can, and then we can do some of that philanthropy. Or if we sell the business, we can start a foundation. But in that thinking, there's a separateness. Like we're saying, the business is about making money. Our giving is about doing good. Where have you seen family businesses integrate those two worlds well? And see that, say, that influencing of policy or that more formalized philanthropy is actually connected to the things they deeply know and understand or connected to the way they do business. I'm keen to hear any kind of examples you have around that. I think there's growing awareness on this. I must say that I think we have a lot more work to create more awareness on the importance of not this like binary either or, but both and, like he loved to say. Particularly amongst the rising generation, there's more a desire not to have very separatist for-profit here, non-profit there, or in one season of our life, we acquire wealth, and in one season of our life, we give it away, but more integrated looking with respect to just making profit for taking into consideration people, planet, and purpose. But what I'm also seeing with the rising generation is Because they're not necessarily the decision makers, or at least they don't think they have much influence over big decision making, we're expanding into China, we're taking on this new investment, we're starting a philanthropy fund. A lot of them are having to look inward in terms of the businesses that their families own, and how can I make an impact here? Are there elements of the culture within the business that I can move the needle in? where I'll get less resistance and still make an impact socially in terms of what type of vendors do we want to patronize? Do we want to empower more women in the supply chain? Are there any ethical considerations we want to think about? But also thinking through within their networks, if they're invested in other companies, are there policies that we can shift also through, for instance, being board members? Should we push for more environmentally friendly policies. So really thinking through the ESG piece, I am seeing that being more and more prominent, but there is a generational 
shift, I must say, and that there can be tension. But what's really interesting is, in spite of the generational differences, I am seeing that philanthropy is very much a galvanizer and a bridge across the different generations. It is a focal point for the family. And it's really interesting. You would think it would be the money or the business, but quite often it's actually the philanthropy. It's the act of doing good and making an impact in society and gaining clarity around what does that look like for us? How do we want to do that? Do we want to start up a foundation? Do we want to give through a donor advised fund? Or do we want to give of our skills, of our talent, and not necessarily of our money um, towards causes? I'm also seeing the rising generation getting quite scientific around Yeah, if we're giving away, how are we measuring this? And what does good look like? And what is the extent of our involvement in this? Yeah, I think that's been a big shift in the last few decades from, I always talk to people about that spectrum of ethical investment back in the early days, many decades ago had intention, but impact investment as it's moving along that spectrum now is desiring to have intention and measurability. Because as you said, we can have these lovely stories or aspirations of what we're trying to do, but how do we know if we're trending in the direction of that, which is such a critical piece. The pattern around that galvanizing effect of philanthropy, I agree with you, I've definitely seen that as well. One of the pieces that I think is interesting, when we're already running a successful business, when things are going well, that box has been ticked of the success in the external senses of the word. And it's really this transition to starting to find what is that meaning or purpose? There has to be more to things than just, okay, we're already established as a family. We don't necessarily need to only be driven by that aspect of financial security. Do you think that there are particular things families need to be aware of if that philanthropy piece is what's bringing them together? What things should they look out for or what are the ways to do that well? Because For example, one of the aspects that I've seen play out very strongly in the philanthropic aspect with families is that it can be quite gendered. So obviously there's patterns that historically are set up in most family businesses around who's playing what roles. And even from a multi-generational standpoint, often when women are given some of those decision-making rights or an area to work within, it tends to be that more philanthropic giving space but only in the granting side, not the investments. They're very rarely uh, given the investment side of a corpus. Can you talk to me a little bit about some of the patterns or things you've seen there that, again, we need to be thinking about or conscious of as we're starting to engage, particularly across generations? I think something that we're seeing is typically in the past, the older generation were focused around a community, whereas the younger generation tend to be focused around an issue. So more global oriented. So because of social media, technology, access to information, there's very much the rising gen want to be activated to action to make an impact in Bangladesh or, you know, wherever they see an issue. And so what that does mean is, of course, it's a lot more complex in terms of philanthropic activity. What does that look like? Is that direct granting? Is that working through partners? How are we monitoring? So it does require that families build a vaster network, partners that they can work with and advisors that they can work with as well. Something else that we're seeing is the use of technology just coming more to the forefront, particularly things like then this confluence and it becomes a great area. Are we in the world of philanthropy? Are we in venture philanthropy? Are we in impact investing? And, you know, all the terminology. The use of, for instance, thinking how financial inclusion is 
moving the dial with in terms of social impact, particularly on a continent like Africa, where financial inclusion is still a major issue amongst the lower income people and particularly the rural income people. So being able to utilize the skills that have been built up in entrepreneurship and traditional investing and using it in this world to measure in terms of social impact, it provides a really great opportunity to see kind of mentoring of the older gen with the younger gen and reverse mentoring of what technology and its uses and its features. And those are two major things that I'm seeing and potential for a lot of divergence within families and viewpoints well, historically, philanthropy has looked like donating to the local university. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. It can be this. And so having tough conversations on the meaning, um, the values, and really having to have third party professionals come into this. I think we had this conversation last time. Quite often people can have a bit of a scarcity mentality when it comes to giving, which is really ironic. In their minds, they don't want to waste the money. They want to give away and make an impact. But often in doing so, you're not necessarily being the most impactful. So you might need professional advisors like someone to come in and facilitate tough conversations around the table on coming up with a philanthropic plan that's curated for your family or implementing that. Which I think comes back to some of the pieces that you were talking about before. There's almost these two opportunities. One is the aspect of starting to think more broadly around what does that contribution even look like? And I use the same terminology as you around what's the lens that says, how do I use my time, talent and treasure to do good? So I think you've started to explore that, that there can be, even as entry points, a conversation that says, okay, if the treasure piece is off limits at the moment, how would we use our time or our talent to actually contribute to these things? So that sort of one of the ways I suppose that people can enter into that conversation in a different way. I also wonder, I mean, that's quite an interesting shift that you talked about related to next generation, wanting to be those activators, looking at an issue rather than necessarily a community, which the older generation might be looking at. And then transitioning into, you talked about the component that often they end up finding that where they can have influence are those internal things, the culture some of those decisions. Are there ways of exploring or having those conversations that you've seen next gen benefit from by testing out what is up for grabs? Where can I have influence? How do we do that well? I would say just start small and test out an idea on a micro level, prove it, and then seek to get approval and buy-in from wider range of stakeholders for a bigger influence. For instance, if your family's been investing in brown energy or things that you feel very strongly against, you can start to make a case for alternative ways in which the family can make money and be doing good. Prove it on a small level and then seek to amplify that and turn up the volume, for instance, is something that I've seen work quite nicely with a couple of my clients or, like I said, in terms of policy changing in the family business as well. There tends to be this assumption amongst folk that you have to choose one, you have to do good or you have to make money. And I don't really know where this tension comes from, but we do need to fight this because it's a deep emotional kind of reaction, right? So we have to fight this with information and data. If you can try to test and have like a prototype, so to speak, of whatever you're trying to initiate, 
and introducing your family business and then show that to the wider stakeholders and seek to increase the impact over time. There's sort of this ironic challenge, I suppose, of when we have this energy and passion and drive and are thinking, oh, there's these big issues and I want to change them and jump in there. We don't necessarily yet have the wisdom or maturity to be able to say, ah, there is a path to get there, but it's not from just smashing my head against the brick wall (laughs) and going straight for it has to be the big vision or nothing. That aspect, I don't know about you, but that's certainly been part of my journey is realizing those areas where I was being a purist and saying, okay, how do I be more pragmatic here? How do I say, okay, this is where I'm trying to get to, but there's going to be horizons or chapters and that progress is still important and worth sticking to. I used that phrase earlier. For me, I'm always looking at related to say that measurement aspect. How do I know if I'm trending in the direction? Like it might be taking longer or having little journeys off in other directions on the way, but are we trending in the direction of that goal? And I think that can be a real challenge from just to be patient and calm enough to do that well. This is like bringing up within me as you're talking, particularly in a family enterprise setting, is the difficult dynamics in terms of successors trying to get more responsibility and power and influence from the older gen can make them think that, you know, tussling with the older gen in the family business is just too much work. It's easier for me to start something outside of that. And for instance, philanthropy or impact investing or what have you. And sometimes I've observed that those same intergenerational dynamics play out themselves in those other spheres. And the resource base, the impact base of the existing business is a great starting point. It exists, right? And as you say, are you trending towards your goals rather than just an overnight success? And sometimes the established is the easiest way to start to dip your feet into the water and try to see how you can influence change before moving on to something new and novel and trying to build, pioneer something. I'm wondering, have you, you've obviously had the incredible privilege of working not only many years in London, but back home and then now in the US. What are some of the differences or even the similarities? What stands out to you around what you have seen in family businesses in those different contexts, you know, in terms of the continent, the US itself? now and some of that European experience? Frankly, a lot more unifying of experiences than differences, particularly amongst the rising gens who are often grappling with this psycho-emotional dimensions of the wealth and trying to find their fit and find their feet within their enterprises, trying to influence the vision and move it towards a future that they desire to see, trying to grapple with their leadership authority and their autonomy and agency. But in terms of differences is what I'm seeing is in Europe, we tend to see more older money. So you tend to see more families that are fifth, sixth, seventh generation and have a history of family enterprise and have more sophisticated governance mechanisms. And then in the US, we tend to see a lot more liquidity um, than in the in Africa. So families that are able to sell their businesses and then the next generation, they inherit money from these trusts on a frequent basis and coming into the wealth, so to speak, can have a huge impact on themselves. Are they ready for it? Are they equipped for it? Can they navigate relationships with it? Are they going to live in secrecy of this reality? 
And then on the continent, it tends to be more illiquid wealth that's in businesses and assets. And we tend to see more families that are engaged in a whole load of things. So their family enterprise, they will have like four or five businesses and across different sectors, even though that poses complexity for the families and how do you manage these four or five businesses. It does mean that there's more variety for the rising gen to kind of test their feet. Oh, I like tourism. Oh, I'm not really keen on tech or, oh, I really like agriculture. I'm not really keen on this. So more opportunities to engage the rising gen. But like I mentioned, frankly, with a lot of my clients, particularly as rising gen who are trying to get more credibility, trying to get more influence, trying to navigate my purpose versus what is expected of me. 95% of the time, their experiences are very unifying and actually they find a lot of value in coming together and sharing experiences with one another and just learning from each other. Do you think one of those approaches is more helpful than the other in terms of that you said in the US there's more liquid aspects, people selling, people setting up trusts for children or on the continent, it's more illiquid. The part of your work on the continent as you're trying to bring family businesses together and and have more of that connection, are there shifts you're trying to put into play or is that not one of the aspects that you see as a a piece you'd like to change? I don't see it in terms of regional compare and contrast when I'm doing my work. I literally just take each family as they come because they come with the individual nuance of any given family's For me, the differences are more wide than the geographic or cultural differences, if that makes any sense. And sometimes the illiquidity of the wealth can make it easier in some respects to prepare the rising generation, but also harder. As you said, though, there's something about it not being money. I'm not giving you this chunk of money. It's the asset still sits there. You can play with it. But I haven't. There are some benefits to that. You have to bear in consideration in Africa, for instance, cultures in emerging markets, it tends to be a smaller community where these families have huge names. And so the power they represent, the brand of the family, that can be very stifling. That in itself can become a balance sheet of its own and can put a lot of pressure on the rising gens. I'm not really sure which one's or which one's harder. I just think the complexities of wealth transition and abundance as if you're a first Jenna, just to be aware of that. You may not have had that conversation with your children, but they're probably dealing with isolation and loneliness when it comes to this and just fears. It's very ironic how money, the supposed abundance of it, or can create a lot of fears because it comes with huge pressures and responsibilities, particularly in the case where it's an illiquid asset, right? Where you have to manage a business with thousands of people and make the right decisions and deal with regulators and in a tough business environment, it's not just they're sitting but real consequences and you make the wrong decision and you destroy mom and dad's legacy. That's a lot of pressure. So I just think as societies and communities, as families, to be cognizant of we've made this conversation too linear and solely about money and the acquisition of money means you've done well and wealth creates issues and we have to be prepared for that as families. How would you describe that end point or the desired sort of vision that you have? You said you're a futurist, so I'm guessing you spend a lot of time thinking about where you'd like all of these things to go. What would you like to see happen in in the world related to family businesses and what's your part in that? I'd love to just hear about your sense of your work and the connection to a vision. 
I would love to see families just getting clearer on their vision, on their values, on their mission, collaborating better and communicating better so that they can continue their legacy and so that we can have the impact of their entrepreneurship, their investing and their social activities. That's really what I'd love to see. And and that's the work that I do is just to help them connect better and communicate better. It seems pretty simple, but this world of family enterprise is so nebulous. Often families don't clearly articulate their expectations to one another. They may be you know, grumbles, hurt feelings, money is taboo, death is taboo, you know, relationships. Is, and it's like this confluence of all the hardest things in the world just come together and we're supposedly supposed to make the right decisions. But often we do need a catalyst, an agent that comes into the system and just helps to align and clarify and helps to enable family members to communicate better and get very clear on what they want. So that's what I would love to see. Are there any kind of aspects either related to your work or your book that we haven't covered that you think are really important that you want to sort of jump in and just add to the conversation before we wrap up? No, I just kind of touched on the key message of the book is families should connect, not just on a technical level, but on an emotional level. And the three key success factors of business families are those that have clarity, communicate and collaborate. And that's really what the book is just building towards is how can you gain clarity, communicate and collaborate. Always nice to have some alliteration there. <laughs> Helps. <laughs> What's the best way for people to get in touch with you or just to think about and learn more about this incredible work that you've been doing for many years now? Thank you. LinkedIn will be the best. So I'm there. You just search for Nika Anani. And there you've got the links to the book on Amazon, my podcast, The Connected Generation, and a whole bunch of other stuff I've been doing. Thank you so much. I really encourage people to check out all of the incredible resources that are there. Plenty of episodes of the podcasts to listen to and do grab a copy of the book. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bessie. Thank you so much for listening to Both And with Bessie Graham. You know you were born to do something significant, so don't leave it to chance. Join me each week to pick up quick tips and ideas that will support you on your journey to live and lead a meaningful life. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode and leave us a review so that other people can find us and feel a little less lonely and a little more supported on their journey of leadership. If you haven't joined our Facebook group yet, you'll find the link in the episode notes. Please join us. Thank you so much for being a part of the community and for tuning into the show each week. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.